We're in Psalm 11 this afternoon, just a really short psalm, but just some, some good things in there. And so uh, uh, as we jump into this psalm, this is a psalm of David, and David wrote so many of the psalms, and uh, I just uh, the, the psalms are just something you can just go back to time and time and time again. There's so much there in them. And, uh, and I find myself, I just love getting into the psalms, but I especially love psalms that David wrote. Because David, David had, because of the way his life played out, he had understanding that not everybody experiences in life, and he experienced things that people don't always experience in life, and he had some very high points in his life, he also had some very low points in his life. And so when I, when I study a psalm that David has written, you know, knowing how his life played out, you know, it helps, it helps just to, to be encouraged in it. So, and that's where we are in Psalm 11 today. So, uh, Psalm 11, this psalm was written at a time in David's life when, when danger was around every corner. Uh, Saul's jealousy and spite against David made for a very dangerous period in David's life. We know that Saul went after David, um, and, and Saul's desire was to kill David. I mean, Saul... Saul did not want David to survive, and, and Saul's jealousy of David um, grew greater as time went on. Um, he was jealous as, as, as Jonathan became David's friend, and that, that infuriated Saul. Of course, David was married to, one of, to Saul's daughter. That, that infuriated Saul later on. And, you know, and just, you know, Dave, Saul was after David, and, and he was determined to kill him, and Saul had the army at his disposal. So when Saul went after David, it wasn't just Saul running around trying to find him. It was Saul and a bunch of guys from the army looking for David, trying to bring an end to his life. And this psalm is written at one of these times. And this psalm is written at a time frame where, where things were, David was in great peril. And, and from the psalm, you can tell that some of David, the people around David were, were basically telling him that he needed to flee and hide himself. And, um, and you, you get that as you get into the psalm here. So let's begin reading uh, in Psalm 11 and verse 1. It says, In the Lord put I my trust. <laughs> you could stop right there with this psalm. Uh, and you got seven words, and we could preach all day on those seven words. In the Lord put I my trust. David's trust was squarely where it needed to be. It was on the Lord. In time of danger, in time when his Literally, his life could be taken at any point. Where did David turn? He turned to the Lord. And, 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 that, and that alone, I mean, we, if we covered nothing else in the psalm, but we're going to, but if we covered nothing else in the psalm, just the fact that David knew where to turn in time of trouble. How many times in time of trouble do we find ourselves turning to the wrong place? We do. We, we, sometimes we, we turn to people, and, and, and folks, listen, it's good to have people you can turn to, but people can let you down. People can let you down. People you think that are close to you, that have your best interest at heart, people can let you down. And, and, and sometimes we turn to other things, depending on what the circumstances. You know, sometimes, sometimes we turn to finances. You know, uh, you know there's, uh, there's got to be a way if I can come up with enough money, I can get out of this problem. Well, money is not always the answer to every problem. How do we know that? Because look, look at the people who make millions and millions of dollars. Their lives are a mess sometimes. Look at actors and actresses and, and sports stars. 
and things like that. I mean, they, they, some of them had the, some of the messiest lives I've ever seen. They got lots of money, but that money doesn't solve their problems. And, uh, and, and so David, in this time in his life when Saul was determined to take his life, when David was, was running for his life, David says, in the Lord put I my trust. Spurgeon said this, he, he said, he would rather dare the danger than exhibit a distrust in the Lord his God. And, um, and, and, but so, and you, then you know where he's getting the advice was coming from, because then he says this, how say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. So da David says, listen, I put my trust in God, and basically he's saying to those that are giving him the advice, how dare you say to me, flee to the mountain like a bird. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I like birds. And so we have a hummingbird feeder in our backyard, and we have a regular bird feeder in our backyard. And, and I've noticed something. If there's hummingbirds on the hummingbird feeder, or there's other birds on the bird feeder, if I open up the back door, they have an instinct. You know what that instinct is? Flight. They take off, right? The, the regular, I don't know where the hummingbirds go, the regular birds fly up into our backyard into the tallest tree, and they fly way up to the top of it to get away from what they perceive as danger. That's their, their natural instinct is flight. Fly to somewhere safe. We have, we have a bird, we have 200 gallon propane tanks in our back that run our, our whole house generator and our fireplace and our stove. And um, <laughs> a bird decided to build a nest inside the lid of one of these recently. There's five eggs in there, I'm watching them. There's five eggs in there. So the other night, I wanted to take a look, and dummy me, I opened the lid while the mom bird was sitting on the eggs. Well, first of all, she made a beeline for my face. I don't even know how she took flight that fast, but she flew right at me, and then she vanished. Why? She took flight. She probably went to one of the nearby trees. It was near dark, so I couldn't see where she went. But, but the, the instinct of the bird is to take flight when it feels danger is there. And so David's, the, the people that are giving this advice to him, he says, listen, in the Lord put on my trust. David was determined about his trust in the Lord and, and trusting God for things. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your, to your mountain. And, um, you know, we need to learn to trust God. You know, Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. We can quote that verse no problem. But putting that verse into play in our life sometimes becomes a problem. We say we trust God, but as soon as something doesn't go the way it's supposed to go, then suddenly we don't trust God. We don't have our trust where it belongs. And sometimes those are, those are hard lessons uh, to learn. But, uh, but we, need, we need to learn them and, and understand that. And um, this, uh, this time frame, uh, let me just turn over to 1 Samuel for a second. 1 Samuel 23, and uh, starting in verse 15, 1 Samuel 23 and verse 15, it says, And David saw that Saul was come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand uh, in God. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I meant to read verse 14. And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul sought him. Every day that God delivered him not into his hand. Every single day, Saul was seeking to find David and to put an end to his life. 
That's what he was. He was. He was so enraged with jealousy and, and so furious that he. He every day he spent his time hunting David, and it was during this time that that David that that David said to those who were giving him advice to flee. That David said, "Listen, in the Lord put I my trust," and that takes us to the to the present threat. That's Roman numeral two. What was going on at this time? Notice what the, the people that were trying to convince David that he should flee, here's what they had to say. For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. So what was the present threat? The, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string. In other words, the, the people that were seeking David's life were ready to strike at any time. They had, they had already, for, for the illustration's sake and the picture's sake, they had already bent the bow and had already placed the arrow on it ready to, to shoot. And then it says, so that they may privily shoot. The word privily is, is talking about darkness, night, so that they could shoot when David would least expect it, when he wasn't aware that it was coming, that he wasn't aware that danger was nearby. And so, and so these, these people that are trying to convince David um, <clears throat> listen, there's danger nearby. You need to flee. The, the enemy is here. They've bent their bow. The arrow's lined up on the string. It's ready to be launched at you, and it's going to be coming at you when you can't see it coming. And uh, you ever feel that way about things in your life? They hit you when you don't see them coming? Yeah, we probably all do at times. We probably all have experienced circumstances that have hit us and we never saw them coming they just we don't we don't have the we don't have the ability to see that getting ready to hit us but David said in the Lord put on my trust despite what all these things are saying here you know David says in the Lord put on my trust and then we get to verse 3 verse 3 is an interesting verse <clears throat> verse 3 says if the foundations be destroyed what can the righteous do if the foundations be destroyed what can the righteous? so what is this referring to well there's a lot of thought about what this verse is referring to, and, and there may be, it may be referring to a couple of different things. Um, some refer, some, some commentators believe this refers the foundation being, being, the, um, being the, the spiritual foundation of the nation through the priesthood. And if you study back in this time frame, uh, you know that Saul had. I think it was 85 priests murdered because one of them had helped David while he was looking to escape. And so Saul demanded that the, that the priests at that particular town or whatever were, would be put to death. And, and the soldier, his soldiers would not, put, would not kill him. They wouldn't touch a priest. But he had somebody else that would. And so this one guy, was it Doeg? I think it was Doeg, yeah. He, he killed, and I think it was 85 priests. Murdered 85 priests in his anger trying to get to David. And because he was so mad because the one priest helped David out. And so some believe that if the foundations be destroyed, the fact that the spiritual foundation of the nation was being destroyed by Saul through killing off of the priesthood, some people believe that's, that's what it may be in reference to. And it may very well be in reference to that to an extent. But I think there's a broader reference to it um, talking about the, found, the, the moral, spiritual foundation of a nation, and let me just read you a couple of commentators what they have to say. Uh, Barnes, who who I study often, um, he says this. He says the reference is to a destruction 
of those things in a community when truth is no longer respected, when justice is no longer practiced, when fraud and violence have taken the place of honesty and honor, when error prevails, when a, char when a character for integrity and virtue affords no longer any security. This is supposed to be the case in the circumstances referred to in the psalm when there was no respect paid to truth and justice and when the righteous therefore could find no security it is under these circumstances that the advice is given in Psalm 11:1 that the righteous should seek safety and flight and so that's what Barnes says say Philip says this in his commentary a determined attack is being mounted against everything decent moral and Christian in our society the moral order in society was being swept away by a king who was bent on the destruction of his successor. And so, you know, you think about it, folks. Think about today. Think about the foundations of our nation today. Where, what was our nation founded on? Where, what do we see back in our history? If we study history, and I'm not talking about revisionist history. I'm, studying, I'm talking about the real history of our nation. A nation that was founded clearly on biblical principles. You can see it in every aspect of what the men that started this nation did. Were they perfect men? No, they were not. But every single aspect of the founding of this nation, you can see that it was a nation founded on biblical principles. And what we're seeing today is the description that Barnes gives when truth is no longer respected, when justice is no longer practiced, when fraud and violence have taken the place of honesty and honor. Man, that's America today, folks. He's writing about a psalm that was written thousands of years ago, but that is who we are. This is where we are today. The foundations are being destroyed. And so then the, then the question is asked, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, what can the righteous do? They can do what David did when his foundations were being destroyed. They can put their trust in God. That's the whole point of this psalm. Dave, David is, is, is on the run for his life. Saul is so determined to kill him that he just had 85 priests murdered in a town trying to seek after David because one priest helped him out while he was fleeing from Saul. And, and everything David knows morally has fallen apart where he, where he lives right now, but yet he doesn't want to flee. He doesn't want to flee. So, folks, I think there's a message there for us. As, as things worsen around us in this world, as believers, we need to put our trust in God. And that's hard sometimes because it's very discouraging. If you pay much attention to the news and, and read things that are going on in our nation, sometimes it gets very disheartening, very discouraging. But I don't think as believers we just need to flee the scene and not try to play any role in things. I don't think that's what God has called us to do. God has called us to put our trust in Him. And so whether this reference here of the foundations specifically to the reference of the priest, it may, some of it may be. But I think there's a broad picture here about the moral and, uh, and, and justice and truth that, that we see being destroyed in nation after nation. And right now, we see it very clearly being destroyed in our nation. And that we need to learn to put our trust in God. 
So David says, listen, the advice he's getting is, uh, the advice he's getting is, listen, uh, you need to flee. You need to fly like a bird to the, to, to the mountains. The, you know, the, the enemy is nearby. They've got the bows already bent. The arrow's already on it. It's ready to go. Um, and when you are not expecting and can't see it coming, that arrow's going to fly and, it, and it's going it's to take your life. You need to flee. And in that, David says, in the Lord, put on my trust. So now we get down to uh, Roman numeral three today, the facts of David's faith. Why was it that David in that particular circumstance, when things were that dire, when his life was on the line, when he knew Saul was seeking to destroy him? Because I'm sure that David didn't take take it lightly that 85 priests had been murdered because one helped him. He knew Saul was bent on murder. If he was willing to have priests killed, he was bent on murder. David knew that. How was it that he could say, in the Lord put on my trust? Well, I think we get a picture in verses 4 and 5 how that is. David didn't just have blind faith or trust God just hoping. That's not the kind of faith David had. His faith was not blind. His faith was like, I got nothing else to do, so I might as well trust in God. That's, that's not where David's faith came from or how it came about. There were some facts about God that brought him encouragement during this time. <coughs> and I think one of the things we need to do in our lives is we need to take courage and trust in God before we find ourselves in difficult circumstances. We need to know what we believe about God before the circumstances get difficult. And I think that's what David did because in verses 4 and 5, you had, you had the people speaking that were trying to get him to flee, but I believe in verses 4 and 5 is where you see David pick up the conversation. And notice what David says. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. David says, listen, in the Lord put I my trust. Why? Because God is on his throne. <laughs> That's why. David's, David's like, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord looks down on man. He knows the circumstances of my life. Why David could trust was because he knew that God could see what was happening. Listen, folks, if God has the hair on our head numbered, which the scripture says he does, if he knows how many hairs are on our head today, I would say he has a pretty good idea what's going on in our life. I couldn't tell you how many hairs on my head there are. There's less than there used to be, I can tell you that. But I can't tell you how many there are. But God can. God knows. And if God knows that, he knows the circumstances we're dealing with, what we're going through in our life. The Lord is in his holy temple. Spurgeon makes this observation. He says, what plots can man devise which Jesus will not discover? Satan has doubtless desired to have us that he may sift us as wheat, but Jesus is in the temple praying for us. And how can our faith fail? That's a great observation. Listen, 
What was it that encouraged David? David was on the run from King Saul. He knew Saul sought to take his life. David says to these guys that are saying, listen, you need to flee like a bird to the mountains. The foundations are being destroyed all around us. David answers and says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. And then notice what he says in verse 5. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth the violence, his soul hateth. God beholds, folks. God sees righteousness and wickedness. You know, some, sometimes, I, I mean, I, I got to just be honest. Sometimes when I see such wickedness and evil in this world, when I see some of the things that tr people try to push down our throats that are completely against the scriptures, it's so discouraging sometimes. But folks, God knows it. God sees it. He sees both the righteous man and the wicked man. See, for David's particular situation here, God saw and knew everything that David was doing, but God also saw and knew everything that Saul was doing. God knew how Saul was living. And God knew he wasn't fit to be the king, which is why he was giving the kingdom to David. But God knew. God knew what was in Saul's heart. He knew that Saul had slayed the, slain the priests. He knew, he knew how determined Saul was to bring an end to David's life. God knew because he saw both the righteous and the wicked. So David took confidence in the fact that God knew his situation. Why could David trust so much during this time? Because he knew the God who he worshipped and served. And folks, David wasn't a perfect man. We understand that. David had failings, big failings. But David, as the scripture tells us, was a man after God's heart. And David knew his Lord. And David knew he could trust him. That takes us to our last point. The end of the wicked and the favor of God. David knew that God was on his throne. David knew that God saw both the righteous and the wicked. But notice what we read in verse 6 and 7. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and in horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. What is he saying? He says God's going to punish wickedness. That's what he's saying. God will punish wickedness. As I look at the wicked, wickedness in the world around us, the things that just, just drive me absolutely bonkers that we have to deal with in society today that we shouldn't have to deal with, I always have to remind myself that God will deal with this one day. My timing, would, I would love for it to happen now. God, I wish you would deal with these people now. I wish you would take care of this wickedness now. But just like the martyrs that sit under the throne in heaven asking God, when will you avenge our blood? And God tells them, in a little while. A little while. The time is coming. God will punish wickedness. He will deal with wickedness. But it's got to be in his timing. But notice the extent of it. 
the words fire and brimstone, they speak of eternal punishment, punishment in hell. And when we think of fire and brimstone, what do we think of? We think of hell. So there's, he's talking about eternal punishment, but even before you get to that, no, snares, fire, brimstone, horrible tempest. The way the wicked will, will be met is with obstacles at every turn. We, of, we often fret over evil, evil, evil doers, but they'll receive their reward. And even sometimes on this earth, in this world at this present time, they deal with snares, things that trip them up, things that catch them. You know, I, I know you shouldn't celebrate when somebody gets caught and gets punished, but I, I, I happen to really enjoy when, like, somebody who's running thousands of pounds of fentanyl into our country gets arrested and busted and has to go to prison for the rest of their life because they try to bring in things that would be deadly to America. I mean, I enjoy when I read those headlines because I feel like justice is being served, you know. And, uh, but, but, he, and then, but he says, you know, snares, fire, brimstone, a horrible tempest, but then he says this, this shall be the portion of their cup. What is that referring to? Well, in the scriptures, often when you refer to the cup and dealing with wickedness and justice, the cup refers to what's in it, refers to the wrath of God being poured out. We can turn to Revelation Revelation chapter 14, Revelation chapter 14 and verse 10, it says this, it says, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, without mixture into the cup of his indignation of God's wrath. That's what it's talking about, chapter 16, in, also in, in uh, Revelation, verse 19. <clears throat> and it says, And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. See, folks, when we read about the cup in Scripture, we're talking about the cup of God's wrath. And he says, David says in this passage, this shall be the portion of their cup. Snares, fire and brimstone, and a horrible tempest. That's what they have coming. But then he shifts gears in verse 7. He says, for the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. I love the progression here. The righteous Lord, we know the Lord is righteous. The righteous Lord, he loves righteousness. And so his what? His favor is on those who live uprightly. See, David said, listen, I know the advice you're giving me is to flee to the mountains like a bird would flee. But he said, I'm putting my trust in God. Why? Because he's sitting on the throne today because I know he sees what's going on in my life and what's going on in Saul's life, and he knows what's happening with the righteous and the wicked. And on top of that, I know what the cup is for the wicked, and it's utter destruction, but for the righteous, God's countenance doth behold the upright. 
the God who loves righteousness loves those who live uprightly. And that, folks, is why David, during this time of his life, could put his trust in God. And in conclusion, I just want to read, flip over to Psalm 9 for just a minute, because this Psalm is another Psalm of David. And this is a whole other Psalm we can look at at some point. But I just want to read to you the first uh, several verses from Psalm 9, because it again just encourages us at how the Lord is there and how we should put our trust in him. Notice what it says. He says, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou my most high. O thou most high, excuse me. When mine enemies are turned back, they shall fall and perish at thy presence. For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou sattest in the throne judging right. Thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end. And thou hast destroyed cities. Their memorials perished with them. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment and he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in, right, in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them, he forgetteth not cry of the humble have mercy upon me O Lord consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me thou that liftest me up from the gates of death that I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter daughter of Zion I will rejoice in thy salvation man what a great psalm David said listen I know where to put my trust I know that Saul's after me I know that he seeks my life but I trust in God because he's on the throne today. He sees the wicked and the righteous. He knows what's happening in my life. He knows what's happening in Saul's life. I know the end of the wicked, that they're going to suffer from the cup of the wrath of Almighty God. And I know the end of the righteous, that God's countenance is upon them. What an encouraging way to take a stand. And that's what David did. So we look at our nation today. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the wicked do? We can trust in the Lord because he's in his holy temple. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, just for this, this look into this psalm today. Lord, we pray that it would be an encouragement in our life. Lord, Lord so often we fret over evildoers. We fret over wickedness. And, and, and Lord, we, just, we, we, would, we want to see wickedness dealt with and judged. And Lord, we pray that we would remember that that day will come and that you will judge and you will make wrong things right and lord we just pray that you would just uh lord we just pray that you, we would we would learn to put our trust in you as david did lord even even if it comes down to our very life and our existence lord as david trusts in you we pray that we would find that same trust today and it's in jesus name we pray amen all right folks you are dismissed have a blessed day